We're doing a series of teaching about the problem of evil, and we're going to be in this for a while because this is a very complex subject, and what we're trying to do is understand how God can be good, and yet there can still be all kinds of evil in the world. How many of you understand that's an important question? And, and there are a bunch of different answers that have been given. I'm not giving you a new answer, but I'm trying to explain uh, what I believe in a way that's thorough and that can help you understand what you believe on a deeper level. As always, you aren't required to agree with me, but I'm going to argue a, perspe- a particular perspective that I think is, is healthy. Um, if you weren't here last week, I preached a really in- interesting message and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's on, the, on the, it's on the YouTube. You can follow me on YouTube. You look for me, Max Cornell, on there, and you can like our page. All this stuff makes it to our website eventually, but it takes a little bit. So anyway, I preached this message, and I explained that in addition to humans, God created what we might call lesser gods or other Elohim. There are other Elo- So in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, there's in Hebrews 8, 82, excuse me, Psalms 82, verse 1, it says, God stands among the council of the gods. God, singular, Elohim, stands amongst the council of the plural Elohim. So there's God, Yahweh, but then there's lesser gods. Now, that doesn't mean polytheism or anything like that. All it means is that there are angels and demons that exist in the spirit realm. How many of you believe that? And so that's not a crazy thing for charismatics to believe, um, but what I'm encouraging you to believe is that, that these divine beings, not only do they exist, but they have significant power and authority, and they were given that by God, and some of them use that power and authority to rebel. And we uh, talked that through all last week, and I left this really kind of on a cliffhanger where all the world, the scripture says in 1 John 5, 19, all the world is in the power of the wicked one, which is a bad state of affairs. And just to prove that further, let's look at Luke 4. So this is the world that Jesus is born into. Jesus is born into a world that has been given over to demonic powers, lesser Elohim. And in Luke 4, verses 4 through 7, Jesus meets the head evil angel called the devil. And Jesus said in verse 4, he said, it's written, you know, he's rebuking the devil, God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then verse 5, and the devil, taking him unto a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, all this power will I give you and the glory of it, For that is delivered to me, and to whoever I will, I will give it. If you therefore will worship me, all will be yours. The devil here claims to have authority, power over all the kingdoms of the earth. And it says it's it's been given to him. Who gave it to him? Well, we did. We'll talk about that more later. But but the point of this passage is, is Jesus doesn't worship him, thank God. But he also doesn't dispute his claim. He doesn't say, well, the whole world isn't really in your power. He says, no, that's, that's the thing. So the, the issue is Jesus understands he's been born into a world that is given over to idolatry and the worship of lesser gods. And his plan is to get that authority back. 
What the devil offers him basically is a shortcut. This is why you need to be leery of shortcuts. Because <laughs> often they come from the devil. <laughs> All right? And so Jesus, Jesus doesn't take this shortcut, but he, we find out later he gets back the authority anyway. So Jesus' mission, we've got to understand this. Jesus came down here to save us. How many of you believe that? But he didn't just come down here to save us. He came down here to deal with these fallen demonic entities that he created. And look at Hebrews 2, verse 14. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same, that through his death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil. What this shows is that Jesus certainly died for our sins to forgive us, and we'll talk about that at a later date, but a huge portion of why Jesus died was to destroy the devil. Everybody see that? So, so there's a cosmic conflict that's going on, and there's a tendency in the Western church, because the Western church for a long time basically said we don't hardly believe in angels and stuff, and there's a tendency to focus all of redemption and all of what Jesus did just on what he did for humans and to humans. And obviously that's a big deal because we're humans and it's natural to want to focus on ourselves, okay? But this shows us that part of what Jesus did when he came down here was to deal with the devil. It was a rescue mission, but he's trying to wrest the control of the nations away from the devil and bring them back into his own power. Does that make sense to everybody? So I want to just, I want to just uh, go back through time a little bit and get a, a, a sense of the history leading up to Jesus. So in Genesis 3.15, right after, the, right after Adam and Eve fall, God prophesies to the serpent, which, which we believe is a divine being. Revelation identifies him as the devil. And he says that, that the seed of the woman is going to bruise the serpent's head. Anybody read that scripture? Yeah. All right, and he says, you'll bruise his heel. Pretty much all scholars agree that's a prophecy about Jesus. Right after this rebellion, one of the first things that God says to the serpent is, there's going to come somebody that's going to crush your head. Anybody see that? All right, that's part of the narrative momentum. And then... In Psalm 82, later, we read this last week, God expressly tells these Elohim, He says, look guys, you've you got to start judging justly, or even though you're sons of God, even though you're gods, you're going to die like men. It's a serious threat. Then, in Judges 11.24, it's clear that the nation of Israel believed that their war, their, the Canaanite conquest, where they're going into the land of Canaan, they understood that all these other nations were worshiping other gods. And they didn't differentiate between the natural realm and the spirit realm the way that we do. They saw it all as kind of enmeshed. And when they went out to war, they believed that the heavenly armies were going with them. And that they were clashing with these demonic armies. So if you look at this, uh, they say, will you not possess that which Chamosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whosoever the Lord shall drive out from before us, them we will possess. 
So the picture is here that the Israelites believe that God, Yahweh, is fighting these other gods and that that's all being played out in the natural realm as they go and conquer this land. Everybody follow me so far? Then, in Isaiah 11, we have this prophecy about a coming king. So look at Isaiah 11 in your own Bible. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 4. Everybody agrees this is about Jesus. It says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch will grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of counsel, excuse me, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and will make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and reprove with equity, uh, with equity for the meek and the earth. Notice this verse is what I'm trying to get to. And he'll smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he'll slay the wicked. Everybody see that? It's a clear prophecy. There's a Davidic king coming. And when he comes, he's going to kill some people. That's what it says, right? Both the nation of Israel and the demonic powers read these scriptures. They had an understanding of this. The momentum leading up to Jesus is God's coming, and he's made all these promises. I'm going to crush your head. I'm going I'm to slay the wicked with the breath of my mouth. I'm going I'm to destroy you. Though you're gods, you're going to die like men. That's the narrative momentum leading up to Jesus being born. Everybody, humans and angels alike, expect all-out war. And this is why the Israelites are trying to, when Jesus is alive on the earth, the Jews try to make him king, and they want to overthrow the Roman Empire. They believe the Roman Empire is evil, and they can look and see all these gods that the Romans are serving, and they're, they're pagan gods, and gods at war with them, and so they expect war. So too do the demons. And the Messiah is born into that, into that climax. It's the, it's the climax of history. It's a really intense point in history. The Jews are mad. They're wanting to rebel. Just a few years later, 40 years later, they do rebel, and then Rome comes and and sacks Jerusalem. It's a, it's a serious crisis point in history. It's the climax of all history. And Jesus is born into that, and everybody expects war, and then something really strange happens. Jesus comes, and he doesn't kill anybody. Now, that doesn't strike us the way that it should because we don't pay attention to the narrative momentum. But the momentum is, is headed. God's going to come down here and He's going he's to kill some folks and fix some stuff. That's the picture. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, the weirdest story, one of the weirdest stories in Jesus' life is in Luke 8, 30, verse 33, 30 through 32. We won't turn there. But He goes and He casts these demons, these legion of demons, out of a guy. And the demons say to him, just don't send us to the abyss. Everybody know this story? What's Jesus do? They say, they say, don't send us to the abyss. Put us in those pigs. And Jesus says, okay. 
He shows mercy to the demons. That should have been your first clue. That should have been everybody's first clue that something was happening that we did not expect. Now, from that, now, now listen to me. Don't get all crazy, all right? We're not saying the devil's going to get saved or anything like that, okay? Origen thought that. It was an early heresy, but that's, that's not where we're going, okay? But it's, it's weird. It's not what we expected. It's not what the demons expected. And they come to him, actually, and they say, why did you come down here to torture us? That's what they say. The devil is really confused. He doesn't seem to understand what's going on. And so in first, look at 1 Corinthians. I've got to just show these on the screen because I've got to hurry. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, The wisdom, there's this hidden wisdom, which none of the princes of this world, that's talking about the demons, they didn't know it. They didn't know what was going on. God was doing something. God was doing something really powerful and miraculous but the demonic realm did not understand it because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This means in some way God tricked the entire demonic realm. If they would have understood what was happening, they would have never put Jesus up on the cross. But they were confused. Just like many of us, are at this point. <laughs> I'm going to clarify it. So we know, though, what happened is that Jesus went to the cross, and then Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, these are really important verses, it says, it says, You, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Everybody say, Thank God. All my sins are forgiven. All right, and then he says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So that's all talking about you and your sin. How many of you are thankful for that part? But that doesn't, that doesn't undo this last part, which says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. So, what the Scripture tells us is this, that the devil didn't know what was going to happen, and he crucified Jesus, and that this resulted in Jesus triumphing over him gloriously. How many of you believe that? So, I mean, that's really exciting, right? But here's the thing that I didn't understand for, for years, and I didn't, I, it, it was really confusing to me. It's clear that that God won a decisive battle over the principalities and powers at the cross. How many of you know that's clear in the Scripture? Hebrews 2.14 says that. It's clear that He did it. It is unclear how He did it. Meaning this, it's unclear in the Scripture how God dying on a cross can defeat the devil. How? Okay, and that question how is what's called atonement theory. And it is, in my opinion, one of the most complex and confusing parts of theology. 
and I have adjusted mine many, many times, and I'm continuing to adjust it, all right? So I don't pretend in any way to have this all figured out. What happened on the cross was a cosmic event that changed all of history, changed the entire universe. So I can only talk about like one aspect of it at a time, and, and even in doing that, I'll probably undersell it. But I can show you one thing that I never really understood before that was so beautiful that I just, once I saw it, it, it just blew my mind. So the question is, how does Jesus' death on the cross destroy the devil? All right? Now, one way that he does that is by forgiving our sins. And that's a huge thing, but I, I don't want to talk about it today. What I want to do is I want to read to you Colossians 2.15. Once again, it says, Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing. Everybody say triumphing. Okay, that word in this context, in this historical context, meant something because they were familiar with the Roman Empire. And what Rome would do when they conquered a foreign king, so they're, they are always fighting the barbarians. The barbarians were just anybody that wasn't part of the Roman Empire. <laughs> All right, and so if they'd go out and they'd, they'd uh, defeat a foreign general, they would get that general and they would strip him naked. They'd bring him to Rome. They'd cut off his thumb so he couldn't hold a sword. They'd cut off his big toes so he couldn't walk right. And they would parade him naked around Rome through this thing called the Ark of Triumph. The Ark de Triumph or something like that, all right? And, and so they would make a public show of their fallen general, of that general, and they'd say, see, this is... This is the, the guy you were afraid of. You don't have to be afraid of him anymore. So they do this. I mean, it's violent, right? I mean, they, they mess him up and humiliate him. Because of that imagery, I don't know about you, because of that imagery, I, I always had in my head that somehow spiritually, in the spirit realm, where I couldn't see, on the cross, or maybe later where Jesus goes down into hell, that Jesus is like thrashing the devil. How many of you would like to see that? I mean, he's like messing the devil up, right? I mean, he's getting his, you know, he's cutting off his thumbs and his, and his toes and whatever, and he's, he's destroying him. I always thought there was some sort of violent action that was going on in the spirit realm that I couldn't see, and that that was what was happening when Jesus defeated the devil. And I didn't totally understand it, but I thought that something like that was happening. But I realized that I hadn't taken this verse very seriously because it says here that, that Jesus made a show of them openly. He made a show of the, of the principalities and powers so everybody could see it. Get this. On the cross, somehow, somehow, this is what this is saying. Somehow the cross is the devil's public humiliation. And everybody could see it. And he triumphed over them in the cross. Now how can that be? Because it sure looks like the cross is Jesus' public humiliation. That's true. I mean, I mean, Jesus is the one getting beaten and, and having a crown of thorns and mocked and, and all this. How, and so the question I asked as I read this was, was, how on earth can the cross 
be a public victory, a public humiliation for the devil and a public victory for the Lord. Okay, so before I answer that, I have to, I have to go back again and provide some context. The thing we have to understand about the demonic realm is how on earth did they get the position that they're in? Why is it that, they're, that they were in charge of stuff? Well, we know that part of it was that Adam and Eve sinned, right? What did they do wrong? I'm, I'm having to do this quick because I want to get to the conclusion. So what did they do wrong? The devil comes to them and says, you know what? God isn't really good. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. God's lying to you. He, he's, he's got this tree over here that if you ate that, that would really help you, and he's trying to withhold something from you. And what they did was they believed the word of the devil instead of the word of God. They allowed the devil to paint a false image of God on their hearts, and they put faith in that instead of the reality of who he really was. As a result of that, they sinned. All sin is connected in some way to a misunderstanding of the character of God. The root problem in everything is idolatry. And idolatry is not just the worship of a statue. It's the belief in a God that is less than the real thing. It's the belief in an image of God that is false. It's the belief in an image of God that the demonic realm paints on your heart for you. And that's what leads people into bondage. Why is the whole world in the power of the wicked one? Because they, they worship false gods. They worship images. They don't believe God is as good as He really is. That's what it is. That's all that it is. And when you sin, Matthew 13, 15 talks about that sin, it ends up getting to this place where your heart's hardened and you're confused and you can't even see God anymore. So here's the thing. In order for Satan to be defeated, our sins had to be forgiven, but also our idolatry had to be broken. For God to destroy the devil, here's, here's the amazing thing. For God to destroy the devil, he didn't need to kill anybody. All he had to do was show who the devil was and show who he was. And the cross does both. It does both publicly. Here's why. Here's why. Because the cross and the brutality, and the ugliness, and, and the torture, none of that was caused by God. I'll show you why. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, once again. Once we get it, it says, it says there's wisdom, which the principalities and powers, if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who crucified the Lord of glory? The principalities and powers. 
Who else crucified the Lord of glory? Look at, look at Acts 2, verse 36. It says this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom who crucified? Did God crucify Jesus? It says you crucified Him. God made Him Lord and Christ. Now, was it the will of God for Jesus to be crucified? Yeah. Well, I'll say this. It was the will of God for Jesus to die. Because Revelation 13.8 says, God was the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. It was always God's intention to come and die for His creation. But we have all these pictures of that, right? In the Old Testament where we've got various lambs being killed and goats and stuff. Do you know they never tortured any of those animals? Because the belief that you have to torture something to get God to calm down so He won't torture you is an entirely pagan belief that the Lord was trying to free us from. The torture, they never tortured the animals. They, they slit their throats. And the reason they did that wasn't... wasn't to, it's not that God looked at that and thought, wow, you know, now I feel better. It's that they were renewing the covenant. Hebrews says, without, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He doesn't say without torture, there's no remission of sin. What he means is the blood ratifies the covenant. The covenant is the thing that secures your, your forgiveness. Mark 9, 31 says it this way. This, this ties it both together. The Son of Man, Jesus said this, the Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they will kill Him. Who will kill Him? And after He's killed, He'll rise on the third day. The Son of Man is delivered. Who delivered Him? God did. Jesus delivered Himself. He said, I'm going to go lay down my life. What happened on the cross was God voluntarily gave Himself up to be treated the way the demonic entities and the way that humanity wanted to treat Him. On the cross, God experienced the wrath of man and the wrath of the demonic powers. The ugliness and the brutality of the cross, we did it. This is the revelation. Okay, this, once you see this, <laughs> this is why the cross is, is a public embarrassment to the devil. Because it shows that he's the ugly one. That he's the brutal one. That he's the torturer. That he's the one holding the whip. And at the same time, it reveals that God is so transcendently beautiful that He would rather die for His creation than kill it to save Himself. And so Jesus is up on the cross, and He's, he's you've got to understand, everybody expects war. That's why they're saying, come down from there. 
And Jesus says, I've got 10,000 legions of angels. And the, Psalm 22 talks about the wolves of, of Bashan. It's a picture of, of uh, the demonic realm. There's all these demons surrounding Jesus. And, and Michael's in heaven probably looking down saying, just say the word. Just say the word. And Jesus doesn't say nothing. All he says is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's the greatest head fake in history. They thought he was coming down there to do violence. And he did do violence, but not in the way, <laughs> not in the way that we expected. He totally subverted our expectations. Look at Isaiah 53. Most people, most people believe Isaiah 53 is about the crucifixion. Look at, verse, look at verse 3. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief or sickness, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him. Everybody say, we did esteem we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. What's that mean? It means we looked at Jesus on the cross and we didn't have any idea what was happening. And just like anybody else, we looked at it and we thought, man, that guy must be hated by God. God's doing that to him. But, everybody say but. The next verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him, and with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. We, we're the ones that whipped Jesus, and he let us do it so that we could be healed. And we looked at it, and we thought, we thought God was the ugly one. We thought God was the one doing that. We thought God was the brutal one. And all along it was the devil. And the cross reveals that. The cross reveals that the devil is base and, and empty and cruel and vindictive. And God is loving and patient and forgiving. And it also reveals this. In Isaiah 52, it says his image was marred beyond that of any man. Brothers and sisters, the demonic realm and humanity in partnership have so marred the image of God that He doesn't even look like Himself. That's what that means. It means that our sin causes us to create idols, wrong images of God in our hearts, that put us into bondage. You guys are really quiet. Rather than show God to be somebody who could force everyone to bow the knee. This is what the devil thought. The devil thought that God was just like him. And that he was going to come down here and force everybody to submit. Instead... He just gave himself freely. 
and showed himself to be the God of mercy and peace and beauty and give everybody a choice. And now you have a choice. You can choose to believe in the angry, vindictive God that so many people believe in, or you can believe in the God of the cross. The God that hung on the cross. And I'm telling you, to the extent that you will believe that God is exactly like Jesus and exactly like Jesus on the cross, to that extent, you will walk in freedom from idolatry and you'll walk in freedom from oppression. Rather than punish everybody for their sin and idolatry, Jesus forgave everybody. And rather than demand sacrifice, he offered himself as one. Why does the cross defeat the devil? It's not because he was secretly beating the devil up behind the scenes. It's because the cross made a public show of how weak and pathetic the devil really is. It shows that it was never a war. In the scripture, Ezekiel says, God has no pleasure in the death of him that dies. I realized I wanted to see the devil get thrashed. (laughs) And you know what? Jesus publicly embarrassed him, but he didn't enjoy it. That's heavy. He didn't enjoy, he has no pleasure in the death of them, even the devil. Now he's, the devil's bound for hell. That's what Revelation says. He's not going to be redeemed. But God doesn't have any pleasure in that. You know what that shows? It just, it just shows how sad the devil is and weak and pathetic and broken. Why would we serve him? Once you see that, you'll quit worshiping him. You'll quit sinning his sins and believing his lies because he's pathetic. And that's how idolatry is broken, and that's how the Lord frees us, and that's how he frees the nations. The cross literally kills our idolatrous notions of God. I'll tell you this. The most oppressed people that I have met, the people that are most demonized, are people that believe lies about God. I've helped quite a few people walk out of demonic oppression. What's the problem? Well, it's a problem if the devil's oppressing you, all right? Everybody understands that. I understand that. But I had a guy call me, and he was like, you know, the devil's oppressing me. This is a while ago, and and I said, okay, well, I'll I'll help you. And he said, well, look, I've been fighting this thing, and we we got to do warfare, and we got to do all this. And I said, okay. And I was like, how long have you been fighting this? And he said, you know, a period of years, and... I said, well, you're, you're fighting pretty hard, but you're not winning, right? And he's like, well, I'm doing better. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you're doing better. But I said, but are you delivered? And he said, well, no. And see, what he wanted was me to come and do more violence against the demonic force with him. And what I said was, look, I think your problem is you need to quit believing some lies. I don't know what they are but I'll help you find them. And if we'll kill your idolatry, you'll get free. And you know what? He wasn't interested in that. 
You know why? Because we've misunderstood this whole spiritual warfare thing. The devil, the devil ha- he has no real power. He's not stronger than God. It's not a war of attrition. It was never a contest of power. It's a contest of belief. The highest level of spiritual warfare is what do you believe? That's where the real warfare is. So to whatever extent you will reject demonically inspired concepts about God, yourself, life, etc., you'll experience freedom in, in Jesus. And so the Christian mission is to continue Christ's conquest. How do you do that? You storm the gates of hell by telling people God's good, God's always been good, God loves you, He's always loved you, and God's forgiven all your sins. Now quit worshiping lesser things and put your faith totally in Jesus. That's the message. That's the message. Now how about this? I don't know, I, I don't even, to me... When I saw that, I just sat down and cried because I thought I had painted in my heart a picture of God that was less beautiful than is the truth. And when I repented and I embraced the truth that God wasn't torturing Jesus. We did that. That was our brokenness. Our brokenness put him there. And he allowed it to happen because he's love. And throughout all history, I mean, every time, even on the insurance bills, it says, you know, there was a tornado. It was an act of God, marring the image of God. And you know what? God doesn't smite anybody for that. He doesn't come down out of heaven and say, quit saying that lie about me. He's humble. He's allowed himself to be defaced and lied about. But on the cross, he forever revealed who he really was. But it takes faith to see it. You have to look past the ugliness and see God for who he really is. And you know what? That's what communion's about. So I wanted to receive communion. The ushers could pass it out while I keep talking here. We're all going to receive this together. While they pass it out, I just want to encourage you that Jesus is so good and He's so beautiful and He's so much better than I realized that I've been on this journey for years trying to repent and see God for how He really is. But I've missed a big piece of it. God wants you to walk free from the powers of darkness. Back when Jesus died, I mean, they were serving literal idols. They were worshiping Shamosh and Baal, these statues. We don't really do that anymore in America, but we worship fame. We worship money. We worship likes on Facebook. And we believe things about God that frankly aren't true. 
And that's the worst thing. And so in just a second, I'm going to give you the opportunity as we receive communion. We're going to receive this and we're going to just say a prayer of repentance together. And, um, you know, if this was hard to swallow, you got to understand this took me years to get to the point where I'm at. So I understand if you think I'm crazy. But... <laughs> but this is the truth. God's better than we could ever think. And His wrath is not torturing people. It's letting sin self-destruct. That's all He did on the cross. He just let the devil self-destruct. He let the devil be who He was. And it's really ugly. But God's really beautiful. He's so beautiful. He's so good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's what the blood's for. Do you know Jesus could have died without all the violence? The covenant still would have been ratified. But the demonic powers wouldn't stand it. They couldn't stand it. They thought, well, here's our chance. God's entered into our realm. He's become human. He's vulnerable. But the scripture says, like sheep, like a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Didn't say anything. Didn't defend himself. He could have. Could have destroyed everybody in a moment. But it's not who he is. Communion helps us remember that moment. Thank you, Jesus.